0: Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and as always, I'm so glad that you joined me to talk about that strange mixture of math and physics that we call music. Thanks, as always, to everyone who's been listening, sending in kind words, sharing the show, telling people that they know about it. Um, We've got more people listening than ever. The show has really been spreading around. It seems like people are enjoying it, which is nice because I'm really enjoying making it. So hey, everybody wins. I have a newsletter that you could sign up for. Quite a few people have already signed up for it because I mentioned it on the last episode. Um, I will be sending out my first newsletter probably this week, so you still have time to sign up and get the first one. Link to sign up for that is down in the show notes. I am going to be doing another listener Q&A episode. The next episode after this one will be a big Q&A. If you listen to that first one, it was pretty fun, so I want to do it again. You are welcome to write me with any questions that you may have. What I'm kind of looking for are specific questions, You know, not why does electric guitar sound so good and more what what is the electric guitar doing on this specific song in this specific section so um, if you have any specific questions like that, things you've been wondering about things you'd like to hear me take a crack at, please send them to me. You can email me at strongsongspodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at me at Kirk Hamilton, um, that's K-I-R-K Hamilton. Email is probably easier for me to keep track of. So again, that's strongsongspodcast at gmail.com Send me your questions for the Q&A episode which will be after this week Okay, on to this episode strong song which is a real anthem kind of one of the great anthems of the last 10 years it's a song that does not have a question as many of our songs have in fact it is a song about a command it's a command sort of to yourself it's a command to the listener it's a command to everyone to just finally grow into yourself own who you are and well you know what i'll let elsa take it away cold never bothered me anyway. I mean, in truth, the cold bothers me a lot. I don't like being cold, but it'd be cool if the cold didn't bother me. That notwithstanding, yes, we are going to be talking about Let It Go from the 2013 hit Disney animated film Frozen. It is one of the most iconic and well-known Disney songs of all time, which is really saying something. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a Disney song from a Disney movie have the quite the cultural impact that Let It Go had. Um, it was sort of a star maker for Idina Menzel, its singer who was already already a major star but it sort of raised her to a new level of cultural awareness outside of Broadway it is kind of an interesting one to look at in terms of Disney songs and and where it fits, you know, and kind of how Disney songs have evolved over the last 20 or 30 years, and it's just a really good, memorable song. So, this episode, I wanted to dig into why that might be. First up, some vital stats. Let It Go was written by the husband and wife songwriting team of Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. It was released in 2013 for the Disney animated film Frozen. It was performed by Queen Elsa of Arendelle, also known by her real name. Aim, the well-known Broadway singer Idina Menzel. Menzel is known as a powerhouse singer. A lot of Broadway fans will know her she, in the late 90s. She played Maureen in Rent, and more recently, and maybe more relevantly for what we're going to be talking about on this episode, she also played Elphaba, um, one of the two leads in Wicked, and sang that song Defying Gravity, which, don't worry, we'll get there. But uh, basically, Idina Menzel, really, really good singer, as you can tell from this tune and from pretty much anything she's ever done. As for Robert Lopez, a couple interesting things to keep in mind. First of all, he played piano on this whole track. That's him playing. And I think it's actually his original piano recording that they then built the arrangement around. Um, But he he is playing piano on this. It's a very piano-heavy recording, and that's actually him playing. So one of the two writers of the song is also the pianist on it, which is sort of cool. Lopez is also pretty well-known from Broadway. He was one of the writers of Avenue Q and also the Book of Mormon, so he has strong Broadway bona fides. And um, Lopez and his wife, Kristen Anderson-Lopez, they also wrote, uh, Remember me which you may know from uh the disney pixar movie coco which is a really fantastic song so very good songwriters here uh, with a lot of pedigree and a lot of history in broadway uh, sort of went into the making of this thing so let's start where we usually start at the very beginning and i think that the beginning of let it go does a brilliant job of setting the stage and actually doing a little cool harmonic thing that i think sort of establishes the framework for the song going forward so here's how let it go begins It's a really cool piano intro, both because of the way that the harmony works and the way that the right hand is sort of outlining that harmony. So first, let's just go over what the chords are. Uh, Let It Go is an A-flat major, which means uh, the relative minor to that is F minor. So it kind of goes back and forth between F minor and A-flat major. The choruses are definitely in A-flat major. They're very triumphant and major sounding. Uh, The verses are in F minor. They're more sort of contemplative and sad as she looks back and looks out over her kingdom and hasn't yet quite made up her mind whether or not she wants to let it go maybe she wants to hold on to it she's not sure that's kind of what the f minor is for so this intro moves through the verse um, chord progression and outlines it in a cool way that chord progression is first we have an f minor then we have a d flat major then an E-flat major, and then a B-flat sus that resolves to a B-flat minor. So basically a B-flat minor. So that's the first time through. And then the second time through, it changes a little bit. And we go from F minor to D-flat major again, to E-flat major again, and this time the B-flat sus resolves to B-flat major. So it's kind of an interesting little thing, and it's a cool trick that I think was very on purpose. Um, If we put the whole line together, it sounds like this. So there are a lot of things that I like about this piano part, about Lopez's piano playing in general on this tune, and about this intro specifically. Uh, let's start with the B flat minor that then the second time through resolves to a B flat major. So this song needs to, this intro needs to establish the emotional tone of the song. Right? Um, Elsa is alone. She's freaked out. She's off in the snow at the top of this mountain, and she feels more alone than she's ever felt. And so it needs to feel very sad, which of course it does. It starts in minor. Minor keys, you know, for a lot of reasons, mostly cultural, we tend to associate minor sounds with sadness. And so we're in the relative minor, you know, we know we're probably going to go somewhere good. And the major key, the A-flat major, is like where we're going to end up. But We're starting on the F minor. And yet, there is this hint of brightness that comes at the end of the phrase, and that is when the chord resolves instead of resolving from a B-flat sus to a B-flat minor, it resolves to a major. So I really like that this phrase moves to this sort of sad thoughtful space and the first time through the phrase it resolves to this minor chord and then it does it again but then the second time it resolves to a major chord and then we're back on F minor so it's just a moment of brightness that kind of shines through. So let's listen to the actual recorded intro again and as you pay attention for that B-flab minor that ends the first half of the phrase and then the B-flab major, um, keep an ear out for other things that are maybe a little more subtle and harder to hear the very first time that you hear it. So two more small things that I like there. First of all, if you can just hear it, there's all this kind of beautiful, really high frequency chiming and ringing out going on um, up above the piano. Some of that is, I think there are just some bells ringing that have been recorded and then just brought up in the mix without any clear attack on the bell, just the bell is sort of ringing. Though there are also some cool attacks. There is what sounds like some kind of a glockenspiel or small metal mallet instrument that kind of doubles some of the notes. See if you can hear it. It's kind of the last three notes of each kind of micro phrase, so just listen very carefully for it. It's very high and very delicate, but it's in there. See if you can hear it. Also some lovely wind chimes in there. Gotta love the wind chimes. And uh, one other thing that I really like is the way that that right-hand motif, which sounds kind of like this, um, then gets reshaped over the second chord. So over the F minor, uh, the notes that are in the right hand are a G, an A-flat, and a C. So that's the 2, the flat 3, and the 5, which is like pretty safely inside of an F minor sound. But then those same three notes hold through on the D-flat major. So you're playing a G. Uh, An A flat and a C on D flat major, which sounds much more sort of discordant but beautiful. And that's because what you're playing there suddenly is you're playing a sharp four up to the five to the major seventh. So instead of playing you know very inside of a minor chord, you're playing a more extended thing. That's kind of a major seven sharp four. It's a it's a broad, kind of brighter, more dissonant and richer sound. And um, it's a really common thing in pop songwriting because if you stay in the key of sort of f minor a flat major while playing through these chord progressions you just sort of naturally wind up playing some of these notes um, but it sounds i think really really nice uh, the way that the way that the right hand sort of layers over that second chord but okay enough about the first eight bars of the song let's get into it uh elsa is lost she's both lost personally she's lost in this snowstorm and she's lost in the mountains the tone has been set the mood has been established let's get into the verse so there's a lot of beautiful stuff happening in that first verse. It's very sounds very simple at first. The piano plays basically the same part that he played in the intro. He just goes down the octave um, while Menzel's vocals come in. But there's some cool stuff happening in the background there. First of all, I really like what the string arrangement is doing, what's happening in the string arrangement. So there's this kind of counter melody happening uh, in the violins, and they're just following along with this one simple note that sort of loosely traces the harmony. And then at a crucial point, the strings come up and more strings come in. And it's actually to emphasize that B-flat sus resolving to B-flat major, that major resolution, that, you know, that window of light that I was talking about before. That's where the strings really emphasize it. And you'll notice throughout this whole arrangement, every time that B-flat major chord happens, there's this moment of brightness in the arrangement where they really focus on it and kind of shine it up and bring it out, which I think is really cool. So let's go back through the recording now and listen for that counterpoint line. Um, I played it underneath while I was talking, but now I'm going to play it along on the piano so you can kind of really focus in on what that violin line is doing and then notice when the strings come in in more full force.
1: Snow glows white on the mountain tonight Not a footprint to be seen A kingdom of isolation And it looks like Here
0: it is. I'm the queen
1: The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside Couldn't keep it and heaven knows I tried
0: that opening verse is also where Menzel really gets to show off her sort of Broadway chops and her range. She's doing a lot of sort of standard stuff, uh, that kind of way that she ruefully laughs in the middle of a delivery, the way her voice almost chokes up. It's all very controlled and very professional, but also really well done. I think she just did a good job um, playing the role of Elsa in general, and and she's kind of at her most vulnerable at this point in the song, so it works really well. So getting into the pre-chorus, the strings just get a little bit more involved, everything builds up, and really before you know it, the quiet and sad part of the song is over, and we're into the pre-chorus. So that's something to keep in mind with this song, is this song is brutally efficient. It wastes absolutely no time, um, and yet it fits. It packs a lot of information into a short amount of space. It's very dense, but, um, but it doesn't waste much time. So we're, we're done with all the sad stuff, and it's already time to start getting ready to let it go. So obviously, that means it's time for the pre-chorus here's the pre-chorus
1: don't let them in don't let them see be the good girl you always have to be conceal don't feel don't let them know
0: so the pre-chorus exists to set up the chorus obviously that was the pre-chorus to let it go and I think it's a pretty good pre-chorus for a number of reasons. So first of all there's just the way that the melody works in relation to the harmony we've talked many times about contrary motion that's when the melody is moving in a different direction from either a harmony part or the chords and in this case there's very strong contrary motion happening so the actual chords are going between an E flat major and a D flat major so it's going down by a whole step here's the first chord is E flat major and then the second chord is a D flat major the sung melody however is going up and getting more sort of you know getting more lift out of where it's going so it's moving in an opposite direction that sounds like this so when you put them together you've got the the harmony is kind of moving down while the vocals are beginning to sort of soar up and pull away from it Which fits with the both what's happening in the story, what's happening internally, you know, and Elsa's kind of inner monologue as she realizes, you know, where she's going with all of this, and then also in the song as we build toward, you know, the the glory of the chorus. So another thing that I like about this pre-chorus is actually the instrumentation. The strings actually drop out, and it's just piano, Lopez on piano, Menzel singing, and then one other instrument that's a crucial instrument that sort of introduces something to the song that won't actually go away until the end, and is a really big part of what makes it special and what makes it so good, and that is The shaker. So if you remember from when we talked about ABBA's Dancing Queen a couple of episodes ago, I talked about the shaker and how it's actually a very versatile and useful instrument. Shaker is, you know, this one kind of sounds like an egg shaker. It's just a little plastic thing filled with beads, and you shake it in front of a microphone, and it helps you keep the time. The shaker goes way back, and people have been using shakers for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, but in pop music, it kind of is a signifier. And it's a signifier of a certain type of like 80s, 90s pop power ballad. And that's really what this song is, Let It Go, more than any other Disney song, is basically just a mega power ballad. And that's why it's so good, because it rocks super hard. It rocks harder than almost any Disney song has ever rocked. And this little shaker, I actually think, is the first thing to give you an indication of where we're going, because it's just piano, shaker, and kind of more powerful vocals. And it sets up the chorus. And the first time through the chorus really drives home the fact that, oh, this is going to be a power ballad okay so you want to hear the chorus i want to hear the chorus look we all want to hear the chorus to let it go let's listen to the chorus Now that is a great chorus right there, and it's great for a lot of reasons that we'll get into uh, in more detail in a minute. But first, I just want to zoom out a little bit and talk about how unusual that sort of a chorus is for a Disney movie, and how much of a signifier it was for where this song was going. Now, I don't know about you, but when the piano comes in on the beginning of this chorus, um, he starts playing this very kind of distinctive piano part over a very well-known and very common chord progression. Um, in this case, it's an A flat major. So we're finally on A flat major, which then goes to E flat major, then goes to F minor, and then goes to D flat. So that's one to five to six minor to four. That's like maybe the most common chord progression in all of music. It's also one that really features in a lot of heavy hitting power, you know, pop songs, and in particular power ballads. In fact, when I hear this piano part, What I almost immediately start hearing is this piano part. Do you recognize that second piano part? Okay, wait, maybe you'll recognize it if I play the recording of the song that it's from
2: Just a small town girl living in a lonely world. She took the mini- <laughs>
0: that's right for my money let it go from frozen shares about as much in common with don't stop Believin'" by journey as it does with any other disney song i mean listen to that chorus again I mean, I don't know about you, but I could totally hear Steve Perry singing that. It would sound awesome. So, hey, you know, basically, Let It Go is a Journey song. Now, I think that this song is actually very interesting in the context of all the other Disney music that I know. I should preface this by saying I am not a Disney expert. I know some people are. I uh, am a musician who's seen a lot of Disney movies, and I know what I've noticed over time and the way that the music from those movies has changed, but I don't know all the trivia. I don't know, you know, all the ins and outs of who wrote what and, and what studio forces led what to happen. I just kind of know what I hear, but I do think that that's kind of interesting. So let's go in the Wayback Machine back to a 1989 film called The Little Mermaid and listen to the big kind of show-stopping number from that, which is Part of Your World.
1: Ready to know what the people know. Ask them my questions and get some answers What's a fire and why does it, what's the
2: I turn, would I love, love to explore that shore a above,
1: out of the sea, oh, wish I could be part
2: of that world.
0: a beautiful song. It's written by the longtime Disney musical maestro Alan Menken, one of the great, great songwriters of the modern era, uh, performed by Jodie Benson in the role of Ariel. And it's a cool song. And I shouldn't say, you know, a direct comparison to Let It Go isn't fair for a number of reasons. Obviously, it's the song is going for a kind of a different tone. It's more of the sort of longing, um, you know, wishing to go somewhere kind of a song where Let It Go is a more defiant song about self-actualization. So it, it fits that Let It Go rocks a little bit more. That said, it is striking how different the t- instrumentation and the arrangement and the way that the song is laid out, um, how how big the differences are between those two songs. Uh, it's more than just 25 years. It's a, it's a complete overhaul in the approach to songwriting that was in a Disney movie. Now, The Little Mermaid came out in 1989. That was during this sort of golden era of Disney movies that include Aladdin and uh, The Lion King, a lot of great Alan Menken music in there, a lot of re- really good songs The typical approach tended to be in the movie there would be a fully orchestral you know much more broadway musical style almost an old orchestral singer album style of performance like that performance of part of your world there was no rhythm section or rarely a rhythm section or drum set or guitars or anything like that it was just an orchestra and a singer and it sounded much more like a singer on a stage performing a stage performance. And then there would also be the pop album version of the song that would come out. If you remember in Aladdin, that song um, A Whole New World that was also written by Alan Menken, this time with lyrics by Tim Rice. Uh, If you remember the people who play um, Jasmine and Aladdin in that movie, they perform it in the movie, but then there was a pop single version of it that was performed by Pia Bo Bryson and Regina Bell. And that was kind of always Disney's approach, was that there was the movie version, and then there was the, the single version. So what's interesting about Let It Go is the way that the the lines between the movie version and the single version had started to blur and then just sort of fell apart completely when this version, Idina Menzel's version of Let It Go happened in the movie. And I should say there is a pop version of Let It Go. It was sung by Demi Lovato. It plays over the credits and it's fine. You know, it's a pop song. It's okay, but it's totally not in the same league as the version from the movie. And in this case, at least in the case of Frozen, the version from the movie so eclipsed the Demi Lovato version that I never hear anybody talk about that version. I mean, the Idina Menzel version is the version of Let It Go. Now, a lot of that is due to the arrangement. Some of it is the vocal performance. She is just a really powerful vocalist, and there's no substitute for when she starts hitting those high E flats toward the end of the song. But it's also just the arrangement and the approach they took from the very beginning, even from the amount of the song that we've listened to so far. It is arranged like a journey song. It's arranged like a power ballad. And it builds. Like a power ballad, and it features drums and guitars, and it, it really kind of rocks in a way that Disney songs typically didn't rock. They saved the drum set and the guitar and the bass for the uh, you know for the single version that was going to play on the radio, the version that plays over the credits of the movie. But the version in the movie was much more you know just an orchestra. It was more like a musical, it was the kind of thing you'd never hear on the radio. So "Let It Go" was a marked departure that kind of was set up a few years earlier in the 2010 Disney movie "Tangled." Now "Tangled" kind of marked the start of the current era of Disney movies. I missed a lot of those Hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, Emperor's New Groove, the early 2000s era movies. I just kind of never watched them. I I don't think they were really that good. Maybe they're fine. I don't know. But um, Tangled was when I, I started watching Disney movies again. And I really liked this movie a lot. Tangled's music was once again composed by Alan Menken. They brought back their kind of classic heavy hitter to write the songs for this. But the songs themselves are very, very different from anything I had at least ever heard in a Disney movie before. And that's for another number of reasons it kind of makes itself known very at the very beginning of the movie really Um, Mandy Moore is playing the lead role of Rapunzel Mandy Moore is a wonderful pop singer and really knows her way around a song and how to kind of perform this way and from the very beginning I mean it just sounds totally different this the first song is called um, when will my life begin and it starts like this What is going on? There's guitars and drums and... 7 So the rest of the movie goes back into more traditional territory, there's more musical style ensemble numbers, you know, there's a villain number, it follows a much more traditional Disney format. But that beginning is actually a really clever musical way to say, basically, you know, this isn't your dad's Disney movie, oh look, it's CGI now, we have a a whole new look and a new style and we've got guitars and bass and drums, Um, so I've always enjoyed that. So the pump was primed for Disney to have this kind of music in a Disney movie, Tangled sort of established that, I think that there is one other piece of music that really Influence, Let It Go and set the stage for it. It was quite a bit earlier than that, but it's sort of impossible not to talk about at least a little bit. And that is Defying Gravity. Defying Gravity is from the 2003 Stephen Schwartz musical Wicked. It was famously performed by Idina Menzel um, in the lead role. She actually played that role alongside Kristen Chenoweth, which I think it's sort of funny that Kristen Bell plays Anna, the other lead in um, Frozen. So Idina Menzel is always playing these power ballads opposite a blonde woman named Kristen. It makes you think, doesn't it? Coincidence or something more? It's probably just a coincidence. Anyways, Defying Gravity was very much the same kind of song as Let It Go, to the point where I can't imagine that someone didn't say, okay, well, we want to just put a Defying Gravity into this new Disney movie. Let's go find the singer who sang Defying Gravity and see if she wants to play the lead role. Um, I have no idea if that's actually how it went, but that's probably what I would do. Um, Defying Gravity is when Elphaba, the Witch of the West, sort of defies everybody and says, I'm going to stand up to the injustice in this kingdom and I'm going to do my own thing and you know her best friend glenda is telling her oh no but you can have everything if you just sort of you know settle down and, and don't speak up against injustice enough of us says no way and so there's this amazing moment in the song where she flies up above the stage and the music kicks in and it totally rocks i mean it rocks so hard check this out I think at this point they like sent a memo to the drummer and they were like, "Hey, uh, it's not quite rocking hard enough. Please make it rock a little bit harder." And the drummer was like, "Okay." <laughs> Now, Defying Gravity is an interesting song, just like Wicked is an interesting musical, because it's a really defiant song. I mean, it is, it's is—it's right there in the title, but it's also a song about defiance. And it's a song identifying, you know, it's when the main character comes into her own and she kind of identifies herself as an antagonist. She's not a villain. You know, the whole point of Wicked is that it's sort of recasting this story. But it is when she's saying, no, you know what? Enough of this. I'm sort of I'm claiming the reins on my own life, and I'm gonna defy you, and I'm gonna stand up, and even if I fly alone, I do my own thing. Now, ten years later, when Frozen comes out, it's telling a really similar story. It also has a character who's not exactly a villain, but has kind of done something bad, and she's saying, Oh, I don't care. I, I need to self-actualize here. It's more important that I do my own thing, even if it means that I'm alone. Now, interestingly, I've read that actually, initially Elsa was supposed to be the villain of Frozen, and there's a version of Frozen where um, Elsa is more of a straight-up villain. As it stands, she's not really. You know, it's it's sort of a subversion of a lot of Disney tropes, including the fact that there even needs to be a villain. There's sort of a villain in the movie, but it's not. It's not really. You know, it's not really well defined. It's that guy Hans, but he sort of is a good guy and then he's a bad guy. It's all kind of confusing. And apparently, the story goes when they wrote "Let It Go" for Elsa. They changed the whole script because they realized that this song wasn't really a villain's song in the traditional Disney style. It was way more of a sort of defiant self-actualization hero song. And so they changed Elsa's character. Now, that's a lot of context and background on this. I think that stuff is all actually kind of interesting just because I really see Let It Go as a sort of defying gravity for a Disney movie. And um, I've always kind of found the the way that Disney music changes over the years to be interesting. But let's get back to the song because we've just gotten to the chorus. We've just gotten to the good stuff and there's a whole lot of good stuff to come. So let's listen to that chorus again and start to pick apart what's making it work musically. So the first two phrases of the chorus, when she's singing, let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Those are pretty steady upward traditions The second time through the phrase, she sings a few more high notes, she's kind of building upward. one thing that's fun to listen to with menzel she's such a good singer that she's doing everything very consciously and her releases on some of her power notes are very powerful she'll sing ah and then she sort of releases it with this strong breath you know like like right here quality so she spends those first two phrases building up and then the next two phrases of course head downward but they start you know much more powerfully and much higher up this is actually where she hits the first high e flat of the tune which is kind of the high note of this song and you'll notice if you listen this is also where the strings come back in so listen for that so then after that relative peak moment things actually come down the harmony changes it actually then it goes to a c minor to a b major and sets up the sort of kiss off line the cold never bothered me anyway which i i really love and sort of twists its way back into the verse in a very clever way so check this out Oh man, so I love that transition. I love how Let It Go transitions from its first chorus back to the verse. I think it's super, super clever and I want to break down why it works so well. So what I'm talking about are these two bars really. It's like my two favorite bars of the entire song and they're these two bars. Okay, I guess it's two and a half bars if you count that that half bar pickup there. But um, a whole bunch of cool stuff is happening. For starters, the drums come in. This is where you first hear the kick drum come in. There's a hi-hat in there. You can hear some drumstick clicks that are kind of defining the time in a much more driving way. Um, there's also this just nice little line that plays in the piano that's doubled in the strings that plays on top of that. So the groove comes in. Um, there's a, just a really, a really cool uh, rhythmic thing happening. There's also a cool harmonic thing happening, which is they need to get back around to F minor to do the second verse but the song has kind of left that minor feeling behind so the way they do it is really clever they resolve out of that that suspended the coal never bothered me anyway that's a four chord, So that's a d flat And they resolve to one, to the A-flat major, and then those extra two bars are them walking from the A-flat down to the E-flat, which is the same chords as the chorus, and then they land on the F minor. So they basically insert the first two bars of the chorus to make it sound like you're still hearing the chorus, but then they pick up in the middle point of the chorus to turn that into the verse. So it's this cool kind of twisty uh, chord progression that moves you from A-flat back to F minor in a kind of comfortable way that keeps... things feeling fairly forward moving along with the drums obviously and optimistic so you're not in that kind of lost scared place that elsa was in in the first verse but the harmony for the verse as they go through it can kind of remain the same and it can still be an f minor so that is a lot for a two and a half bar phrase to accomplish and yet this song does it i think it does it really well and it sort of speaks again to how densely packed this song is and how efficiently it accomplishes each of its goals you know each section very efficiently accomplishes whatever it is supposed to accomplish so with all that in mind listen again to the end of the first chorus and the transition back into the verse where we get into this more driving optimistic take on the same minor key chord progression that happened the first time around So at this point, things are moving forward. This next verse is just eight bars. One time through the verse, then straight back into the pre-chorus. The drums are in, and they do one cool thing at the very end of the phrase that I like, and that is um, where the guitar actually enters in the left channel, and the strings kind of play a cool little line that sets up, once again, kind of re-emphasizing that B-flat, Uh, major chord remember that it it resolves to major that second time through um it yet again emphasizes that b flat major Uh, so listen for that let's just listen to all those eight bars of the verse and check out the way that they do that at the very end
1: it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears and ones controlled me
0: It's a very subtle introduction of the guitar. It's actually kind of hard to even tell it's a guitar, but you can just barely hear the string attack in the guitar. If you listen very closely, it's right here. So the guitar comes in right on that B-flat major as the strings also play a line like this that sort of emphasizes yet again that B-flat major sound, that that ray of light shining through that gets us once again into the pre-chorus. So at this point, I mean, the full band is in. You can really hear the electric bass. The guitar is over in the left channel. The drums are full in drum mode. And it's time to rock out. Okay, so two thoughts on that second chorus. First of all, I think that the lyric, I am one with the wind and sky is so epic. If I could sing that lyric while standing on top of a mountain and summoning magical powers... I probably would. Second thought is, there's it's a pretty straightforward chorus, really. Um, it's the next section, the section coming up, where the song, I think, actually really takes off. It's where the song first really won me over, um, though I, I dug it you know, up until then. But there's one thing I do really like, and that's what the French horns and strings are doing. It's a little line that happens behind uh, the melody that uh, Idina Menzel is singing. And it sounds a little bit like this. It's not a super remarkable counter melody on its own, but when you put the harmony underneath it, that last note winds up in a cool place. It's a E E flat over that D flat chord, which is a nine, and it just adds a little suspended sound to it that uh, is really nice and sticks out. And also, I think that the French horn is a really good choice because it's in a cool point in its register. It's a very noble, beautiful sound. So with the harmony under it, it sounds like this. I just really like that last, that nine, you know, that suspended nine, the E flat over D flat. It's a really nice sound. So listen one more time now to that chorus, and I'll kind of play in the background so you can hear that counter melody because it's pretty neat. So this chorus is kind of the current high point for the song, but things are about to get much, much more um, exciting and energetic, and that's thanks to the buildup that happens next. So this next section kind of functions like a bridge. It's really an orchestral interlude. Uh, The piano kind of goes, falls away, the rhythm section kind of falls into the background, and the orchestra takes over for a little instrumental break that then sets up this big buildup to the final grand chorus. (laughs) Uh, that is that is some exciting stuff. Um, so that, that little section introduces some pretty cool stuff. Obviously, the mallets take over and play some really fast lines, which is just exciting. Um, it's also, uh, it just sounds very different than the rest of the song, and that's for a harmonic reason. It's because it's introducing a tonality, a sort of a sound that hasn't actually really been in this song before, and that is the mixolydian or dominant tonality. So what's happening here is there's a, there are major scales, there are minor scales, and then there are the scales you play over a dominant seventh chord, which we can call mixolydian for, for this uh, for our purposes we don't need to get too into it but it's just a kind of a different sound and it sounds like this It's a jazzier sound, you know, It's a or a more Gershwin-y sound, if you like. Um, it's it's the kind of thing that George Gershwin introduced to orchestral music when he brought jazz tonalities into the orchestra in the 1920s, you know, with Rhapsody in Blue and that kind of a thing. So that's why this section sounds a little bit gershwiny y So during this section, Elsa is sort of experimenting with her magic. She's doing a whole bunch of really cool magic. So you have this kind of wilder feeling from the band, and everything just pushes a little bit out of control compared to the sort of, you know, more... Centered and controlled power rock That we were just doing Suddenly we've got these flying xylophone um, Lines happening And uh, it's also moving through a lot more Sort of chromatic stuff in the end of the line If you listen to that whole line it sounds like this So it's already kind of wild sounding There's these accidentals and chromatics happening The line is moving in unexpected ways And then immediately after introducing it They play it twice as fast And just to bring in the vocals, they end that frantic, really fast xylophone line with this killer French horn rip. You know, whenever French horns go like that and riff up to a note, it's kind of a brass section thing. I'm not sure if it's just the French horns, but it always sounds really cool when French horns do it. Um, You can hear it right here. And with that, it is time for Menzel to sing the bridge, which is just a killer, killer bridge, Uh, killer melody, killer harmonies, so many cool things going on. Here's the first part of it.
1: Through the air and two.
0: So that lyric, I think, when she sings about frozen fractals is when a million mathematicians taking their kids to see this movie freaked out. Um, I've always loved that line. Um, This part is doing a bunch of cool stuff. So for starters, the melody that she's singing is emphasizing that mixolydian, that dominant tonality again. So we really just change the tonality of the song. We're out of this sort of major, minor, power ballad sound and suddenly we're doing this sort of jazzier, mixolydian thing. The first time I heard this, when I was watching this my ears just perked up because you know, everything had been pretty pretty understandable, pretty normal up until then. And I hadn't really internalized, you know, how cool it was that they were basically doing a Journey song in a Disney movie yet, but suddenly they were playing this section and I was thinking, oh, okay, like we're doing something totally different here. And I really, really liked it. And it was because they were really embracing that cool sound um, of the Mixolydian dominant sound. So the next thing that they do that's pretty cool is they just take the whole thing up a step and they rephrase the the whole line and she sings it up in E flat, which is also a little bit of a neat trick Because the pre-chorus beforehand, if you remember, it was an E-flat down to a D-flat. And she was moving up in the melody, remember, while the the harmony was moving down. We had that contrary motion. Now they've flipped it. So we actually start on a D-flat. And then she just repeats the same phrase. She just does the same phrase again, up a step in E-flat. So instead of going from E-flat to D-flat, we're going from D-flat to E-flat. So everyone is moving up together. And she actually just straight up sings the same line again. Up a step, um, and it, it just gives a much more sort of everybody is together building toward that final chorus, which is super cool. There's one other little thing about the vocal performance here that I that struck me that I think is pretty cool, and that's that Edina Menzel actually gets ahead of the beat on that Frozen Fractals line. She sort of rushes through it, and I don't know whether this was on purpose, whether that was the best take, and they decided to just keep it. But the rhythms, uh, the rhythms of the of the orchestra are just a little behind her, and it actually contributes to that sense of sort of a little bit out of control right and which fits with the song because she's a little bit out of control she's having so much fun um, embracing her magic for the first time if you hear it if you listen you can just hear that she gets to the end of the phrase a little before the the rest of the orchestra and has to wait for them but it actually is pretty cool i saw
1: this spiral
0: It's a subtle thing just at the very end of the phrase, you know, frozen fractals all around. It just sort of stumbles on itself a little bit. It moves a little ahead of the time, but in a really um, effective and neat way. So listen to that whole section and bear all of that in mind. The way that they're building together, the way that the harmony is flipped from the previous pre-choruses, that Mixolydian dominant tonality, how she really leans into those flat sevenths, and um, just how the whole thing really just sets up that final chorus. My power
1: flurries
0: and then this build up to the final chorus contains my favorite solo instrumental moment from this entire performance, and that is when the bass player does the neck pump into the final chorus. So this is something I didn't notice until way later when I sat down with headphones and listened to the song, and it just slayed me. And that's that the bass player going into that final chorus just pumps the neck on the bass, full on rock ballad style, uh, to get them to land on that downbeat. Um, So listen for that bass neck pump as they go into the final chorus. it's so good.
2: The past is in the past.
0: Let it go. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. I can't get enough of it. It's my favorite like two seconds of the song. Let No, i said those six bars earlier are my favorite part of the song and they probably are but i can't get over that bass dive bomb it's just the best thing um so this final chorus is just where everything hangs out it's where idina menzel is rocking all the glory notes uh the band is fully rocking out everyone is in and uh it just rules it's it's a culmination of the whole song and um you know they get to it quickly it doesn't last that long but it is just the peak of the song and it's also the end of the song so here we go So something cool actually happens there where she sings here I stand in the light of day um, another epic lyric uh, the, the chord progression goes through its normal uh, phase where it goes from A flat to E flat to F minor to D flat which is the four chord but then they go to a slightly different chord and that is to a D flat minor now I don't know if you remember this from uh, our first Q&A episode but uh, somebody asked about sort of Wilhelm screamy things that I always notice when I hear whenever people do them and four minor is definitely one that I always hear and he here it is. Um, As it actually happens, uh, last episode was Bohemian Rhapsody. That also has a four minor at the end. So four minor big, cool, kind of dramatic way to end a phrase. This is the only time that that happens, but they go from a D-flat to a D-flat minor, and it's sort of this extra little thing that they add to give her a little more space to sing before they go to the descending C minor to B major, which is where she actually hits that big power note, um, let the storm rage on, and she hits that high E-flat, which is over that B major, um, before they bring it home. So listen for that, and listen for that uh, that D-flat minor chord that they add to this final chord, just to give it one little extra bit um, for her to work with. What a fantastic ending. I really love that, that they end on her little kiss-off line. The cold never bothered me anyway. But it also ends on an unresolved chord. It ends on the four chord with that nice little octave F that just sort of rings out as this little chime. But it's not a, you know, it doesn't end the way that if it were on Broadway, it would probably end, which would be, you know, they would bring it back to A flat major somehow. They don't. They just leave it on this unresolved four chord, which sort of fits with the song because as much as it's a triumphant song, it also doesn't totally resolve, you know? It's just the beginning of the story. And um, while she does achieve self-actualization by the end, that's not entirely a good thing because she hasn't totally learned all the things that she then learns over the rest of the movie. So Let It Go is a fantastic song in its own right. It plays a really important role, obviously, in Frozen. It sort of is the song that makes that movie. And I think it also fits in a sort of interesting place in the sort of musical lineage of Disney movies. And while we've looked at the movies that came before it or some of those Disney movies and the way that their music has changed, it's also interesting to look at the movie that has come after it. So the one big animated Disney film that came after Frozen was a 2016's Moana, which I actually really like that movie. I think that it, in some ways is a better movie than Frozen. And when you listen to Moana's sort of big feature number for the female lead, uh, you can hear a lot lot of Frozen in there. Uh, it's actually sort of interesting. Uh, the song is How Far I'll Go. It's performed by Ali'i Cravalho. And uh, this was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, the composer of Hamilton. And they brought in a lot of Polynesian musicians and instruments. So there, there's definitely a different vibe going on with the song. But really, when you break it down, um, it has a lot in common with Let It Go. It also, interestingly, has a lot to, uh, in common with Part of Your World, the 1989 song from The Little Mermaid, because it's very much a song about the lead singing about her dreams and where she wants to go actually sort of interestingly Moana is singing about how she wants to go out to sea where Ariel was singing about how she wants to leave the sea which I've always thought is a sort of fun inversion they were clearly playing with some of the same ideas but um the song itself and the chord progression might sound a little bit familiar to you having just spent a lot of time listening to Let It Go Uh, check it out Pulsing beat, those driving chords. that so it's another power ballad, really, and actually if you listen to that chord progression, it might sound familiar. That's right. it's that same power ballad chord progression that we heard in Don't Stop Believin' and it's actually the same as the chorus from Let It Go. So I'm not necessarily predicting that every Disney song from now on is going to be, you know, 1564 and uh, and pretty much Don't Stop Believin', but it is kind of a fun parallel. And it's, you know, it works. It works for both of those songs. It works in Moana and it worked, certainly worked in Frizen. And that'll about do it for my thoughts on Let It Go, a pretty great song from a pretty great movie. A rocking, unexpected power ballad, and definitely a signifier of a musical shift in Disney movies. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, thank you for spreading the word. If you know anyone you think might like this show, please tell them about it. Um, if you have a moment and you can review me on the Apple Podcast app or just leave a rating, that would be great. It really helps people find the show. And yeah, send me some questions for the Q&A episode, which will be next episode. You can email me at Strong Songs Podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at me at kirkhamilton k-i-r-k hamilton Hamilton. either one will work and um yeah i'm looking forward to your questions thanks so much and i'll be back in two weeks with your questions about strong songs